So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19. The title of today's message is Defying Authority. Strong word, defying. And we know that God sets up authority. We know that God is the one that has us submit to the authorities that exist. So if we're going to defy authority, we're going to we're going to have to have a set of guidelines that are going to be able to help us navigate through that, and we never want to defy the authorities just because we have a difference of opinion. We only want to defy the authority when um, it contradicts or gets in the way of God and God's revealed will and word. And so this is a very isolated thing that we'll do. We find ourselves here in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and so... As we go through it, it'll make sense. I'm going to read through the chapter in its entirety, and then we're going to come back and I'll make some points on it. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 19, and once again, Defying Authority is the title of the message. Father, we ask that you would lead us, be with us in the midst of this section of Scripture And Lord, that we would be attentive to be able to hear from you the word that you desire to speak this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would prepare the hearts and just help us to hear from you, Lord. So bless this time as we give it to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 19, the Bible says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's sons, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with him, with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And said to him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines, and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now, the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, As he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand, then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow... You will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window. And he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. 
So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered and said, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now it was told Saul saying, take note, David is is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as a leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Sikhu. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets. And so you have the most powerful man in the nation of Israel is for whatever reason motivated to destroy David. David has done nothing and been nothing but faithful. And you can see where Saul begins to lose his way. He begins to compromise in his walk with God. He begins to be wise in his own estimation. And he gets off of God's track, off of God's path. And before you know it, God gives him one final chance in 1 Samuel chapter 15 where he instructs him to annihilate the Amalekites. And you can see a series of events that have led up in Saul's life to compromise after compromise. And in that case, he doesn't fulfill what God, is call, what God calls him to do. He brings back, for whatever reason, the king, and he keeps the best of the spoil. And then he makes excuses for why he does that. And at that point, he is rejected of God. God removes his protective covering away from Saul and a distressing spirit comes upon him from time to time. And every time that takes place in Saul's life, he wants to kill David. He is motivated by this evil spirit to do something that is wicked. And so we get to this chapter where this has taken place a few times and Saul communicates to David or Saul communicates to Jonathan that he wants to kill David. Jonathan, Saul's son, stands in the gap and says, no, it's not really what's going to happen, at least not on my watch. And so the defying authority title that I came up with was in light of this week's news. I don't know if you heard, but Harvey Weinstein stands accused of doing some heinous things And he's a producer, director of film, and for the last 10 years, as women would come and be paraded in his presence to be able to apply 
for a job, to be able to be in one of his movies or to be able to, um, uh, what is it, interview for a part, um, he would take advantage of them sexually. And he did it over and over again according to the accusations. In light of Bill O'Reilly on Fox News who has been fired because of accusations that were made and women that have come forward and somewhat of the same thing of just men taking advantage of women sexually to be able to have their way with them, treating them as objects. Bill Cosby in the news not too long ago His case was thrown out. I don't know if they're going to retrial or exactly what's going on there, but as I heard that, um, it just, it it was heavy on my heart, you know. Bill Huxtable, the Cosby dad that I grew up with, and, you know, you you see these things take place. And so it can't be um, a, a coinkadink that I happen to be in this chapter and all of this news comes out and I'm just sitting with it and I think, wow, man, how come, how come a lot of this stuff takes place, right, in the world where it's not just one person who, who's privy to this information. There's got to be people who know. There's got to be people who have heard. There's got to be individuals that, that, that have an opportunity to be able to stand up against the darkness and, and say, hey, no, what's going on? You know, what, what, what are you about to do? You're about to destroy a life. You're about to destroy lives. But where are those voices? Quote from Edmund Burke says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And so darkness and evil and Wicked things take place. And, and there's got to be individuals that are privy to that information. For that evil to triumph, for that evil to, to continue unchecked, is good men and good women stand by and watch and say, well, that's really none of my business. It's not affecting me per se. It's, it's, in fact, it may affect me negatively to some degree on some level. If I say something, if I speak up, if I stand in the gap, and yet aren't we called to do just that? Speak up, say something, stand in the gap. Because that's the heart of our God. And so as you look at what's taking place here in 1 Samuel chapter 19, I see Jonathan and his sister Michael, David's wife, stand up against the most powerful man, in the nation of Israel, their dad, the king, and their lives could be negatively affected, right? Their lives can take a a, a turn of events. They could even be killed. It's not uncommon for a king in this culture at this time in history to wipe out people who would come against their will. They are the law. They're the law of the land. What they say goes. And is it any different than Hitler in Nazi Germany who the authority had an idea and yet he had individuals that would come and carry out his wishes and we would see six plus six plus one million people annihilated. annihilated. 
six, uh, six million Jews, six million Christians, gypsies and others. And then there was a thousand others like mentally retarded, just 12 to 13 million people would die. And where were the voices? Where were the people? Where were the individuals to be able to speak on their behalf? There were pockets of them. I think Schindler's List. You remember the movie? Schindler would save people. Corey Tim Boom in the hiding place. And just you would have pockets of those. But in our culture, as I look around and I look at how we're affected by evil in the world and how things transpire in our lives and things go on and there's people for fear of retaliation, for fear of appearance, for fear of whatever. They hold back and they stay silent. All the while, where's the voice for the victims? Where's the individuals that would come and and, and represent God in a moment like that to be able to minister to a genuine need that is represented? And so we see that take place here. I pulled out nine points that we're going to draw from as we look at this. And so how do you go about this? Romans chapter 13, if you were to look at verses 1 and on, like right about through verse 6, it says that there is no authority except from God and God sets up the authority. Therefore, we are to submit under that authority. And if we don't submit, then we have a price to pay. And so authorities come in all shapes and sizes. There's spiritual authorities. There's governmental authorities. There's military authorities, right? The law of the land and those that are called and and commissioned to enforce the law of the land and, you know, parental authority and just all of these different things. But we only defy the authority when it comes against God, when we know definitively that God is the ultimate authority. That, that above this situation and above this group of individuals that I'm called to submit under in authority, I recognize that God is the ultimate authority. And if we were to look at some scriptures, we know that the apostles in the book of Acts, as they were preaching in the name of Jesus, they were told, in fact, they were forbidden to speak in that name. And Peter addresses them in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, and he says, but Peter And the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so you be the judge, he says. You discern, you determine whether it's right for us to obey God or man, but we will continue to speak in this name. And if it it puts us in prison, if it gets us beat, if whatever consequence is going to come, if we become a martyr, which they all would be, right? Even up to the point of death, We're going to obey God on this one. And so, again, it's very difficult because we have to navigate through, well, when is it appropriate to do this and when is it not? Again, I think these points will help. So number one, with God's help, we need to discern good from evil, truth from lies. The enemy is very subtle. The enemy is um, crafty. And a lot of times, emotions are, are very high in these situations, and confusion can come in the midst of that. And so, when do I speak up? When do I speak out? We got to get God's word on this stuff. We got to make sure that we are discerning, not just my emotional makeup or what, what I'm feeling compelled or strong about, but truly, Lord, I need your help. 
Show me truth. Expose lies. Give me, you know, the right from the wrong here. If we look at verse 1, now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. And so there's a mixed allegiance, right? Remember, Jonathan made a covenant with David. And he said, hey, our lives were going to be wrapped. My soul is knit to your soul. We are BFFs, right? Best friends forever, right? And so they made this pact. They made this covenant. Jonathan acknowledged and recognized that David would be the next king in the nation of Israel. And he just, man, he saw that. He saw God's anointing upon him. But yet here he has his father, his dad, who's the king. And his dad tells him that he wants to kill David. And so there's got to be some, a mix of emotions, right? There, there's got to be some confusion taking place in his, in his mind. And so again, number one, with God's help, we got to discern good from evil, truth from lies. Number two, we need to love and be careful that we don't blame the victim. Notice verse two with me. The Bible says, so Jonathan told David saying, my father, Jonathan, wait, wait, my father, Saul, seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And so there's a protection that's being uh, taking place here. Jonathan is making sure in love that David is protected. And he makes sure that he gives him enough information. Hey, man, my dad wants to kill you. I'm going to try to check out what's going on. But (laughs) you need to just chill out for a little bit. Hide somewhere until we get this thing reconciled, taken care of. Jump down to verse 11. Notice Michael, David's wife. So Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. And so again, number two, as a point, I see love. We got to fall on the side of love. And we're protecting the innocent, the victim in the true sense of the word here. And so however that looks or however that needs to take place, after we pray and get God's help and we discern good from evil truth from lies we need to love this idea of don't blame the victim is something that's very important so a girl is raped because she's at a place where a guy is able to slip a pill in her drink and it 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 inebriates her It, it causes her to be out of her right mind and he's able to then take her and have his way with her, if you will. And, and then the questions will come after the event. Well, what were you wearing, young lady? And um, what were you doing in an establishment like that? And so we have to be very careful that we see the true perpetrator in this case. And no woman is ever asking to be raped taken advantage of, but yet the audacity of the systems that have been established, and I'm sure God looks down and says, that's wicked. We've got to be very careful that we don't blame the victim. Individuals were in Vegas at a country concert, outside having a good time, if you will, 
And some might say, well, Sin City, what were they doing in a place like that? Yeah, they were in Sin City. That's why you don't go to Vegas, see, because I'm a Christian and Christians don't do things like that. Really? Really? People aren't allowed to, out of their volition and free will, just go and enjoy themselves at a concert? They weren't doing anything wrong. And that, that's a bordering right there on blaming the victim, right? What did they do to deserve to be shot by some madman in a hotel with some guns and set all that up, right? They didn't deserve that, right? Let me take it a step farther and get it a little more to Christianity because last year there was a gay bar in Florida and people were at that gay bar where homosexuals assembled themselves at a nightclub and danced the night away and doing whatever, God knows what. And then Christians, again, would look at that, well, that's got to be God's judgment right there, right? Yeah. Did you know that God's judgment fell 2,000 years ago on Jesus Christ? And we have to be very, very careful when we begin to blame the victim in these things. And I don't know why we do it. I, I read several articles and read one through Harvard University um, graduate. And it was a good article. and talked about kind of the whys. But I just think we've got to be very careful. Let me read you out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, because I think Jesus addresses this issue of blaming the victim. And we have to be very careful. Uh, part of it's rooted in pride. Part of it's rooted in a a desire for justice in the world. We believe that justice exists. We believe that you know, bad things do not happen to good people. We believe that we are in the category of good people. And when we see bad things happen, we want to lump them in a category. And we want to say, well, well, maybe they contributed. Maybe they hold, held some part in this. But that's not the heart of God whatsoever. And so whatever it is psychologically that we do that, we got to be very careful from it. Again, this is Luke's gospel, starting at verse 1, chapter 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Salome fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is Jesus saying in Luke chapter 13? He's saying, hey, those wicked people in Florida that were at a gay bar, a gay club, and they were dancing the night away, and they were just in sin. Do you think that those people who got shot in that club were worse sinners than anybody sitting in this church? Jesus is saying, no, we're just as equally sinful as those people. And so be careful to elevate yourself as holier than you really are. The only thing that makes you and me holy is the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we don't get shot and die and, and have a tower fall on us, we should take a step back and say, Lord, that could have been me. There's no reason why that couldn't have happened to me. And we often ask why people die, but we should ask why do we live instead? Why am I allowed to live? Why do you give me breath? 
Is it to glorify you with my life? Because I'm not doing that right now. We always ask God why. Ask Him the right why. Why do you let me live when other people all around me are dying? Be very careful with that judgmental, pharisaical, holier-than-thou-as-if attitude. Don't blame the victim. Be careful with that. That person needs comfort. That person needs solace. That person needs some arms around them without judgment, without any of that coming from us. Number four, confront evil. Notice verse four. I'm sorry, three. Speak the truth in love. Verse three. Thank you for speaking the truth in love to me. First Samuel chapter 19, verse three. First Samuel chapter 19, verse three. Speak the truth in love. Notice what Jonathan says, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. And so he's going to go and he's going to speak the truth in love. He's going to speak the truth in love to David. David, hide out. Wait out, dude. I'm going to go talk to my father. I'm going to find out what's going on. Then I'm going to come back and speak to you. Then he's going to talk to his father and he's going to speak that truth in love. Single identifying mark for maturity. In the life of anybody, I don't care how old you are, single identifying mark for maturity is the ability to speak the truth in love. Many know how to speak the truth, and they hammer it down on people. This is truth. This is the law. This is what the Bible says. This is truth. And there's no love, no grace in that speech. On the other hand, a lot of people just mushy with stuff. Well, I don't want to judge. Well, I mean, you know, it's your choices. And it's just this love, this, this compassion, this grace. Where's the truth? Combination of truth with love. Single sign for maturity. And so Jonathan is stepping up here. And he's going to speak the truth in love. Number four, confront evil. Verse four. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his works have been very good toward you. So Jonathan is able to go and speak to his father. Now, that could be a negative thing, right? That could be bad for Jonathan. But nonetheless, he takes responsibility and he says, man, I got I to intervene. I got to do something about this. Number five, point people to God who is the ultimate authority. Notice in verse four, he did that. Notice again in verse five, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? He's showing Saul, look at what David's done. David's done nothing but good. David hasn't done anything against you. Get in touch with your envy. Get in touch with your jealousy. Get in touch with this mad spirit that comes upon you because you've turned off of the path of God. And he's pointing him back to the authority, the ultimate authority. You may be powerful, Dad, but you're not more powerful than God. And he's willing to do that. Point people to God, the ultimate authority. Number six. Listen to the perpetrator, but follow up and follow through 
Most will strike again if not held accountable. Notice verse 6. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. That's awesome. And a lot of times when you do confront people, they'll give you lip service of, Oh, man, totally see the error of my way. Oh, my bad. All right. Follow up and follow through. Most will strike again if not held accountable. And I think it's something that's gone and lost in our culture. We live in an autonomous culture. Autonomy. Self. Life is about me, myself, and I. And the reason we don't want to participate and partake of small groups, which is so healthy, is because we don't want to be held accountable. We don't want people to know information about us, and we don't want people to tell us how to live our lives. We want to call those shots. Atheism and agnosticism, we think it's like, yeah, people have always been agnostic and atheists. It's a recent phenomenon. The Bible says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And most people were smarter back in the days to know that creation came through because of a creator. And we've got stupider, not smarter, to think that we're smarter than God. In the name of intellectualism. 1800s, right? Origin of the species, Charles Darwin. Yeah, we don't need God. We can kick it out. 1920s, late 20s and 30s, scope trials. Evolution versus creationism. Creationism won, but the right arguments came from, in those scope trials, the evolutionists who had very good arguments And because the creationists didn't do their homework and actually put something together that was intelligent as they could have, just because you have truth on your side, if you don't argue for that truth in a a way that is receptive, be careful with that too. So just interesting dynamics of what's taking place in our world and where we're at. People don't want to be held accountable. Number seven, do all that's within your power to help the victim, even at the expense of everything. Verse 12. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. She was willing to help David, even at the expense of what her father would think of her, even at the expense of even death. Everything. She was willing to give up everything to do what was right to be able to help in this situation. Number eight, verse 15, evil cannot exist in the absence of people saving their own skins. Notice verse 15, then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. So who are these people that Saul is giving instructions to that know that King Saul is wrong. You're going to kill an innocent man? You're going to hurt somebody, kill somebody who hasn't done you any harm just because of your jealousy, just because of your envy? And they're going along with it. Evil cannot exist in the absence of people 
saving their own skin. Did I read that one? Is that number eight? Yes. In Job chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. I think that's where most of us are at. Skin for skin, we will save our skin. Skin for skin, we don't want to get involved. Skin for skin, we think, how's it going to affect me? And all the while, evil is taking place in our world because we're not willing to step up and say, you know what? Yeah, this is a hill that I'm willing to die on if I need to. This is a, will, this is a hill that I'm willing to say, you know what? Not on my watch. This is an area where, no, I'm not, I'm, God allowed me to be exposed to it for whatever reason. The news has come to my ears. I'm going to go ahead and stand in the gap on this one. Number nine, finally, it's only a matter of time before the snake that you're protecting makes an attempt to bite you. Notice verse 17. Then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he he has escaped? Um, She gets in trouble, if you will. She gets rebuked. She gets told something by her dad. And now he's going to turn on her and let her know that he's not happy with her. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, if you go on, Jonathan is going to continue to try and talk to Saul, his dad, about David. And he's going to let him know because Saul again wants to kill him. He wants to chuck a spear at him. And there he is sitting. And Jonathan is trying to make sense to him and talk to him. And it ends up that Saul gets so angry that he tries to kill his own son, Jonathan, for defending David. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 33, the Bible says, Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. It's just a matter of time before that snake turns around, shows its true colors, and bites you. And so in that, I think as we go through and we recognize that Sometimes God is calling us to get involved. Sometimes God is calling us to speak for individuals that can't speak for themselves or at least to be a support to those individuals. I think we need to be very careful just watching the evil around us and not doing anything about it. And a lot of times, again, we do it to save ourselves. We we don't want to get involved. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We're not sure. Again, if you go through that list of praying for discernment, God, show me, show me good, show me evil, show me what's right, show me what's wrong, show me what's light, show me what's darkness, because the enemy is always convoluting it, right? But think about all these people that had wind of all of these cases that we're seeing in the news, all of this evil taking place, and all around, oh, it's just the industry. This is how it's done in Hollywood. This is how it's done in construction. This is how it's done, well, this is how it's done all over the world. The world's dark, the world's black, the world's wicked, And God has called us to come out from amongst them and be separate. God has called us to be light in a dark world. I served in high school ministry back in the 90s. And I remember just watching the world get darker and darker and darker as I was involved in high school ministry. And what I was thinking back then that this is pretty cool. Because as the world gets darker, Christians are going to just like a beacon of a light just shine in this dark world and never did I imagine that Christians would grow darker with the world like a frog dying in a kettle of water 
that it's placed in. That's what's happening with Christianity. There's a scripture in the Gospels where Jesus is speaking and says, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, will he find faith on the earth? And the Greek format is no. People won't be living and walking by faith. The unfortunate answer is no. And yet God always has a remnant. God always has a group of individuals that says, Lord, I'm not living for this world. I'm living for the world to come. I'm not getting my marching orders from this world. I'm getting them from you. And so whatever you're calling me to do and whatever word you're giving to me, then I'm going to hold that near and dear and I'm going to walk in obedience with it. Because one with God is a majority. Martin Luther did it in his time. And throughout history, you can just see individuals that God had raised up for such a time as this. And that's a level of Christianity. Yeah, maybe it's a little deeper. Maybe it's a little more radical than the average. But I don't see Christianity as anything but radical. What type of suffering does God find commendable? I'll close with this scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. The context of that section of scripture is powerful. You can read the verses that come before and the verses that come after. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.20, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So again, I think God is calling us to something wholly other, something wholly different, something on a level that's just an entirely different realm. And that we would be careful to make sure that we're ministering to the ones that God cares about. Individuals that don't have a voice. Individuals that need an extension of God's physical, an extension of his loving arms to embrace. Of his mouthpiece to bring a word of comfort. Of his listening ear to listen. And then to stand up with those people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the examples that we can see with individuals who care more about you than they care about their own lives. Lord, they care about the things that you care about more than they care about their reputations or their comfort. And Lord, they're willing to live for things eternal as opposed to things in the temporal. And so I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your heart. I thank you that we are called your body. And that we as your body are to take our bodies and to lay them on the altar and to be a living sacrifice. Something that is holy and acceptable and pleasing to you. And then we would discern, Lord, you're good, you're perfect, and your precious will. And so help us to do that, Lord, to stand in the gap, to be a voice, to be comfort to those who need it. Help us not to turn a blind eye to these things. And so, Lord, we thank you and we pray for strength and boldness and courage to do what you've called us to do in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen.